Hello, good to be with you again for the second of our series of daily devotionals this week, where we're stationed at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 and 20, as we work our way through the whole book of Exodus as part of the Growing Disciples Bible reading plan. Uh, the people of Israel have been set free from slavery in Egypt through the 10 plagues and through the Red Sea, and have now gathered at the foot of the mountain to which God had directed Moses, Mount Sinai. In Exodus 19, God had initiated a renewal and an expansion of the covenant relationship that he first had with Abraham. If Israel agreed to live within the bounds of the covenant and obeyed God in this, then Israel would be God's treasured people, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel had agreed to enter into this remarkable relationship arrangement with God and so God revealed his mighty and holy presence with the people as Mount Sinai was rocked with lightning, earthquakes, fire, trumpet blasts and glory clouds, even as God spoke his word to them. In a unique way, Israel were God's people, holy and set apart to God for the good of all other nations to mediate God's blessing to them. As we said previously, this covenant relationship had a particular form and structure. There was the preamble, an introduction, which documented the events that were relevant to this agreement that had already taken place. Uh, the second part was an if statement, the covenant conditions, followed by the third part, a then statement, the covenant promises. So back in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, God put it in this form. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If you obey, then you will be my treasured possession, and so on. Uh, back in chapter 19, we didn't hear exactly what covenant obedience would look like, but now in chapter 20, the detail of that obedience becomes explicit. So that's where we're up to in chapter 20, which begins like this. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then continues on with the rest of what we know well as the Ten Commandments. We're probably very familiar with them. But before we go there, we dare not miss out the very important first two verses of Exodus 20. First and most obviously, the covenant conditions which follow are spoken by God. They're not made up by Moses. Instead, they come with all the personal authority of God. And as the, the words of God, they reveal to us something about God. Uh, if we think about a parent setting boundaries or rules for their children, we could view them as just pragmatic rules for getting things done. Uh, don't touch this, eat your vegetables, brush your teeth before bed. Um, but more than just pragmatics, family rules tell us something about the parents. We can tell the things they see as important, the things that they value, uh, maybe safety or healthy nutrition or clean teeth, respect, or whatever it's going to be. In the same way, when we read these covenant commandments, we remember that they reveal God. We learn which things God values and why. 
So as we approach the Ten Commandments, even as 21st century Christians, we recognize their significance in revealing the character of God. This is all new information in the history of Israel's relationship with their God. Consequently, before we even get to the laws, more important is who it is that is giving them and what his laws say about him. That's our first observation today. Second thing we need to notice as we approach the Ten Commandments is the importance of the covenant preamble. This is the introductory statement about what's already taken place. This is the context that makes sense of all of the covenant commands. So already in Exodus 19, we heard God say, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And then just before the covenant commands are recited in detail in chapter 20, once again, we read something very similar. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, Israel, you are a saved people, redeemed out of slavery by the God who is about to give you his laws. Uh, these commands that follow are not how you get saved. You're already saved out of Egypt. Your redemption is not dependent on your obedience. No, the point of these commands that follow is they show you how to live in covenant relationship with God. Now that you are saved, this is how you continue on with God. This is true for Israel and it is true for the Christian. Uh, to be really explicit, fully obeying God's commandments is not your ticket to heaven. It never was for the Jews and it never is for the Christian. As we continue through this book of Exodus and then the other particularly law-heavy books of the Old Testament like Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy, this is foundational. Israel were saved out of Egypt by God's gracious action, set free from Pharaoh so they could be God's people in covenant with God, how should they now live? They should obey these laws, the laws given through Moses, as an expression of loyalty to the God who has already saved them. This is very similar for the Christian in respect to the Ten Commandments and all the other laws that hang off those first ten. We have been saved by the gracious action of the Lord Jesus Christ, set free from our sins so that we can be God's people in a covenant with God, based on Jesus' obedience alone, how should we now live? We obey the laws of Jesus as an expression of our loyalty to him as his people. So today, as Christian people looking back at the Ten Commandments, we know that we're not bound by them. Absolute obedience to them is not our gateway to heaven, nor are they applicable to us except where Jesus himself has reaffirmed them. Rather than feeling the endless condemnation of never fully obeying these laws, we actually rejoice in God's grace toward us in Jesus. Why? He's the one who has fulfilled all the requirements of God's law on our behalf. Jesus did not trash the Ten Commandments saying that they were irrelevant or silly or outdated. Indeed, he completed everything they required. And so he says in Matthew 5, 
Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, including the Ten Commandments or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law, until everything is accomplished. The Ten Commandments and all the other laws given to Moses which hang off them have been fulfilled by Jesus Christ on behalf of the Christian. The law still remains, revealing the character of God, showing sinners their need of a saviour until everything is accomplished in the Lord's return. So we can pause right now and we can rejoice in the grace of God, his wonderful kindness toward us, because we're set free from our guilt under the law. Paul encourages the Galatians with these words. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a cross. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Today I encourage us all to turn all of these thoughts about the place of the law back to God in praise. We can thank God that he's already saved us by grace and no amount of obedience to the law of Moses can add to that or take away from that. We can praise God for his holy character revealed to us in his commands. And we can praise the Lord Jesus that he has fulfilled the entire law on our behalf. I encourage us to do that now.